Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, hunbots and hunbros. It has been spring break over here, and I have been just enjoying every single second of it as I possibly could. I have a little bit of, um, my voice is a little gone. You'll understand in just a second why. Uh, So everybody that's been following my PCT journey, I did it. I, I did the hike. It was so great. I joined Eddie for two days. We had a fantastic time. It was just beautiful. We went out to Eagle Rock. I have all these photos on my Instagram if you want to check them out. I made a little adventure video. We found golden chanterelle mushrooms. I'm not a huge mushroom fan, but Eddie's a forager and he assured me that I at least had to try them. Uh, they were, in fact, golden chanterelles and not like a false chanterelle or anything like that. Cleaned them up, sliced them up, fried them up in some olive oil and salt and pepper right there at this like abandoned Boy Scout camp that we camped at right next to this river. It was just really cool. We like filtered the river water. I mean, it was a full adventure. And I tried those golden chanterelle mushrooms and they tasted like roasted turkey. It tasted like Thanksgiving. It was the most wild thing. So I'm going to go ahead and add them to my list of approved mushrooms that I would eat again. Fantastic. If you ever have the opportunity to try them. So if you ever have the opportunity to try them, to forage them in the wild and cook them up, um, May I suggest a little sage or some poultry seasoning? I think it would make it perfect. Uh, So yes, thank you again to Eddie for letting me uh, tag along on a portion of his PCT trip. I will throw his website in the show notes if you guys want to follow along on the rest of his trip or support him in any way, buy him a taco or anything like that. Uh, It was was an adventure. It was a really cool adventure. And and I would recommend that anybody has the opportunity to do that, do that because it was like... It was like therapy. It was really fantastic. It was absolutely great. I come back into town and it starts spring break with Abby and we are just having fun. We went and had a family baby shower. It was really great to see my dad's side of the family and to have a celebration. And there was a taco, of course. And we had it catered by this amazing taco shop. And oh my God, it was just, it was amazing. It was so good. So that was a great family taco baby shower get together. Uh, And then Abby and I got to go to a Padres game, which was so cool. It was like the third or fourth game of the season. I played against the Arizona Diamondbacks and we lost, but that's okay because if you're a Padres fan, you understand, you know, we just have a really great game and I got to teach Abby a little bit about baseball, uh, which was great um, because the last time we went to a game, she was really little. It was before COVID, so she didn't remember anything about going to the game. So we got all the great foods and she just had such a wonderful time learning about strikes and balls and uh, trying to figure out the new pitching clock rule, which is very, I don't know if I like it. And then, uh, you know, it was just, it was just fantastic. They had a couple great double plays that she got to experience and I could just feel my dad's energy. I felt my dad's energy when I was camping and when I was on the trail and I felt it again at the baseball game. So it was just really great. Uh, and we got some, uh, we got some Padres gear. 
And I cannot wait to go to another game this season. So I just wanted to say thank you to my Uncle Tom for letting me uh, borrow his season tickets for the day. So it was really awesome. And then Abby and I got back from our own little camping trip yesterday. Uh, It was really fun. We went back up to Sibbets Flat where I had the snow and rainstorm and windstorm experience because I needed a redo. And it was great. It was just Abby and I. And then we had some friends come up and join us for dinner and s'mores. And it was really fun. We cooked everything on an open fire. We went down to the river. We hiked up to these waterfalls and these pools. Just gorgeous. I use my Life Straw water bottle. Highly recommend uh, to drink fresh river water, snow melt river water. It was incredible. I just, just some of this, the connection with the earth that I've had in the last couple weeks has just been amazing. So drinking fresh river water. And then we actually took some more back to camp and used uh, my Sawyer filter to see the difference between Life Straw and Sawyer. And I'm going to tell you, um, Life Straw made it taste like I was drinking bottled water and Sawyer left some of that river taste. I, I like both of them for different things. So uh, either of those filters, if you're looking for a water filter for any reason, I would recommend both of them. I like them very much. Um, and Life Straw, if you're listening, hey, sponsor the show because I love your product. Anyway, I hope you are in having an incredible spring break. If you are still on it, we are going into week two. Abby goes to her dad's house and then I am actually going to go see a comedy show this weekend. Uh, Steph Clark, she does a lot of Hun comedy. You should check her out, Steph Clark Comedy on Instagram. We're going to go see her show here in Carlsbad. It's going to be a great time. And then next week, I am headed to St. Louis for the I Got Out writing retreat. Uh, So I'm really excited. So I'll talk all about that in next week's housekeeping uh, and keep you guys up to date on my like wanderlusty jet setty life. At least half of it is for fun and not all of it is for work, right? You have to have that balance. This is such an incredible year and I'm so happy that I get to share it with all of you. Keep those messages and those comments coming. I really love all the tips and tricks that you guys send me and all of the uh, excitement that you have for these adventures. So it's a it's a fun parasocial relationship we have and it's going both ways right now and I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. So and before I forget, I want to thank our newest Patreon members this month, Amanda Dodge, Kate Hardman and Adrienne Aiello. Welcome to the club. Thank you. Enjoy this episode. There is one little note. I'm talking to Amanda Fangman. And in the very beginning of this, I say that it is Trafficking Awareness Month. Uh, But I meant that it's on that there's a focus on the podcast this month. Trafficking Awareness Month is actually in January. So that little distinction, I apologize. um, I was talking about just specifically for the podcast, but we are doing a focus this month on educating about labor trafficking and labor exploitation. And we're going to have a couple culty job stories coming up. It falls right into the labor exploitation of MLM. And I thought it would be a really great collaboration and pairing to join up with Amanda. And I got out this month to make it a focus. If you want more information about labor trafficking and labor exploitation, you can head over to Amanda's Instagram, which is the cult business or the I Got Out Instagram as well, because they are doing a whole focus of education. It is a really great month, and I hope that you guys get a lot of education out of it. And quickly, before we wrap this up, um, trigger warnings. Uh, We're talking about trafficking. So labor trafficking and sex trafficking both come up. I just want to let you know that that's what the, the focus and the topic of this episode is. So 
minor content warnings, but content warnings nonetheless. And I will stop blabbering and let you enjoy the show. See you next week. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. It is April and it is Labor Trafficking Awareness Month. And I am really excited to talk about not only that, but to hear the story of our guest today. So I would like to welcome to the show, Amanda Fangman. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to talk to you about this and sort of talk about something a little different. I mean, very similar, very culty, very <laughs> MLM-y already, but something a little different in labor trafficking. So before we get into your story, can you introduce yourself and sort of what you do and uh, and what's going on in your part of the world? Yeah. So I'm Amanda Fangman. I'm from the Midwest, good old state of Nebraska. I have a little construction business with my husband and help him run that. But on the side now, I've become a bit... I can't I maybe obsessed, but also very passionate about educating people on labor trafficking and culty workplaces and more recently scams. Um, so that's that's kind of how you and I got connected because of the work that I'm doing. I just want to help people know what's out there and hopefully they never get sucked in because it sucks. Absolutely. I hear so many stories about culty workplaces or scammy workplaces that aren't MLMs. And I'm like, oh man, it's like so close. Like it's right there. The Venn diagram is almost a circle. There's a little couple differences, but I'm really excited to talk to you so that we can learn about those differences and learn about your own culty workplace business scammy story too. So take us back to the beginning of working for this company. How did you get introduced? And, and I think most importantly, so we're also talking about the exploitation of children this year. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Most importantly, how old were you? So when I started, I was 18. Legally in Nebraska, you're not an adult until 19. But when I first met the person that introduced me to this gig, I was 17. He was 23. We made out at a concert. Um, and that's where the story really started. The Mindless <laughs> Self-Indulgence concert on June 8th, 2008 in Nebraska. Okay. So what, what happened after the makeout session in the concert? Like what goes on after that? Yeah. So if anybody wants the full shortened, but full version of that story, you can go to the, I got out underscore org handle on Instagram. There's an Instagram live video there where I detail the story of meeting this person who I'll call Jimmy. Um, but yeah, we, we just, I randomly made out with him at a concert. We talked a little bit afterwards, found out that he wasn't from there, said he traveled and made money. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm about to go to college, so I'm not going to do that because he did offer the opportunity. Um, but we texted for a couple days after he found out that I wasn't 18. And you know, again, he's 23, so probably felt weird that he made out with an underage girl. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we left it for a while. I didn't talk to him for quite a while. I thought about deleting his number, and I wish I would have, but I didn't. At that point of my life, I, you know, I had just turned 18 in August, and started school just about then was going to go to college to be a therapist so I was studying psychology and ended up switching my major after like two weeks and then wanting to switch it again so that just tells you I literally had no clue what I wanted to do with my life I got very overwhelmed by college because did very well in high school which is structured but there was no structure in college and I found out like through this you know, ADHD stuff that I've been digging into. A lot of people with ADHD might do great in high school and then really flop in college. 
So I was overwhelmed by classes, having to study, especially all of the definitions and terms for psychology. Um, but anyway, I was working two jobs, eventually quit one. So I'm just like overloaded by everything going on in my life. And by the end of October, early November, I was just done with it. Um, I had quit both jobs by that point. Didn't want to go to school anymore. Was just burnt out. Well, what am I going to do? Like my, I have this loan that I've got to pay back for school. I don't have any job. Uh, my parents have never been able to afford much of anything. Then I remembered the guy from the concert. Oh, he travels and makes money. I should text him. So I did, and it was a little bit after, yeah, it was a little while, I finally heard back, and he's like, oh, hey, so what do you do again? And it was just a very vague travel and make money. Well, but what do you do? Oh, I sell coupons. Okay, you sell coupons. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound that hard. And we talked back and forth a little bit and said he's going to buy me a bus ticket to New Mexico, thinking, great, the desert doesn't sound like super fun, but it's better than the cornfields that I've been growing up in all my life. I'm strung along for about a week. There's no bus ticket. I'm thinking, oh, I lost my chance or some something was just weird about it. But finally, I got the confirmation of a bus ticket going to Lubbock, Texas instead. So I'm like, oh, okay, they do travel. Not New Mexico anymore. They're in Texas. So the, the travel thing's that that's on par. But yeah, I had this bus ticket ready for me to depart November 11th, did the thing dropped out of resigned from all my classes in school. Keep in mind, my parents didn't know about that. They didn't know about this new plan to go to Texas and travel and make money. Um, so all of this is behind the scenes. Literally a few friends knew. I'm pretending to go to classes playing drums at my my friend at the time, but now husband, at his garage while he's in school. And then November 11th comes. I leave a, a note, which I still have. My mom saved it, crazy enough, but it posted it to the cork board of my room. My friend drove me to the bus station in Omaha. I felt sick to my stomach. And I now know that was my body saying, you better turn around. Don't go. Um, but I did. I got on the bus and 24 hours later, I'm sitting in Lubbock, Texas, not hearing back from this guy, <laughs> thinking I've just been punked and I'm sitting in Texas, hundreds of miles away from home, stranded. But here back, he says you'll be there in a little bit. He'll be in a blue Jeep several minutes, at least a half hour later. Dude pulls up. I was disappointed. Like I, I had in my mind then this very brief interaction with him from the concert and like the, the lighting was dim and all that. But like the dude was just, he wasn't unattractive, but he wasn't or like how I remembered. So I was like, oh, Huh. maybe he's not my soulmate like I thought like I was just underwhelmed and disappointed and no disrespect to the guy now <laughs> but that's just my my first impression and I just remember like my stomach sunk I was like I just want to go home <laughs> and I hadn't felt like that in first like forever I hated home I but at that time I wanted to just go and oh my god <laughs> I'm sitting over here with like my mouth just like my jaws on the floor you're what 18 years old you Freshly just, 18, like two months up, into being 18. <laughs> two months into being 18 years old, you uprooted your entire life in secret mm -hmm. and moved how many states away? At least four. <laughs> and then but your yeah. brain catfished you and you're like, you're the guy from the concert? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. And then comes the fun part where I learned that there's not just one other person. There's five other guys, the manager, and then one other girl. So I'm I'm under the impression that he's traveling with some guy named Chris. It's the only person he references. But we go, I get in his Jeep, which is just a piece of junk. We never had nice cars. They were always bought at auctions, very cheap, no radio for a reason, which I can get to later. But yeah, it got in this weird 
Jeep, sounding Jeep and awkward drive to the motel where I meet five other also very like strange, just flat, extremely tired looking men. The manager who I didn't know who Kingpin was at the time, but people have said looks like the Spider-Man comic version of Kingpin. There's one other girl. So I'm surrounded by all these dudes. And then there's one other girl and she just looks like I remember her with just like the baggiest, most tired looking face. And yeah, I'm like, okay, well, there's other people here. (laughs) Okay, so you, what are you feeling in this moment when you see all these other people? Again, I'm just sick to my stomach, very tired. I maybe slept like an hour or two of that 24 hour ride. And it's about 930 when I got to Lubbock, but about 1030 that I got to the motel. But yeah, I'm just like, oh, like, and uh, no disrespect to these people now, because I do talk to some of them still, and they're great people now that I actually know who they are. They just look so sketchy, super tired. There's one guy who had like almost no teeth. One guy who is, I think he has 28, had been on the road for quite a few years, but just like, he looked like he was 40, but he was 28, just very disheveled looking people. And I barely got to talk to them. It was very quick that Jimmy started going into all these words, terms, phrases, rules of the crew, sales techniques. I had no idea what they meant because I still at that point didn't know I was selling magazines door to door. Like this was, I'm selling coupons, like still thinking about that. But yeah, it's like 10, 30, 11 at night. And he's just drilling my head with all this information that I don't know why I need to know it, need to know it, like have it memorized by the next day or two. And then by like, it's probably midnight, one o'clock or so, then it's time to go to bed. Jimmy says, well, you can sleep in my bed in the other room with the other guys. Um, Or you can sleep in your own bed in this room with Chris and the other girl who always slept together. And I've talked to her since and her side of that story is just nuts. And I ended up choosing my own bed, but it was miserable. The room was freezing. The hotel smelled very weird. And I just, I could not sleep because I was so anxious and just, again, wanted to go home. Red flags everywhere. (laughs) I'm so surprised I stayed, but they, it's kind of like the Nixium thing where they're like, you know, just stay through the five day or the the guy, the Spencer Snyder who went to to the school um, shindig is like, oh, just give it a month. And they give it a month, give it two weeks. Maybe you won't like it. We'll send you back home. Or you had two weeks to get your first quota, which we called the, your road runner because we called ourselves road runners. There's a whole set of like magazine crews that are what we called trip kids. And then there was us, which is funny because the ma- like in the magazine world, we're all the same. We're selling magazines door to door, but we're the road runners. So we're better than the trip kids. Like we had this um, like rivalry. It was so weird. So this company is called what? At the time it was called, I don't know how it was pronounced. It was either Floored, so F-L-O capital R D or flow road, which was named after the woman who worked in the office, I guess. But then enough reports went into ripoffreport.com that some weird shit was going on at people's doors. They changed it to independent contractors service and it had several names before flow road or Florida or whatever. And then I believe it changed one time after I left, but they fizzled out about 2015 or so between 2011 and 2015, there might've been another name. But yeah, a lot of these scammy, crazy companies will change names because you know, get they get a bad rap. People are pissed off about their scams and their treatment of people. And they're, oh, I'm going to switch my name and just start over and do the same thing, though. So yeah, it was Flow Road. So if you go to ripoffreport.com, you can find it. F-L-O capital R-D agency. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're just mag crews. They're just 
a bunch of kids going door to door selling magazine subscriptions? Yeah, that's what we did. And I didn't figure that part out until the first day. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. So the first day, wake up, extremely tired, and everybody starts getting ready. You always had to get ready as quick as possible because you had to be in the specific room to get like the sales talk or the motivational talk from Chris, the manager, or Jimmy, who was the junior manager. So right under Chris, basically the assistant manager. And so we'd sit through sales talks and motivational stuff. And then we'd either pack up the car and hop, or we'd just figure out where we were going around like that metro area. So we're either knocking in the city or going to the small towns. But that day we packed up and was like, pack up your things. We're hopping, which is going from one city to the next. Went through the whole motivational spiel. We went to a gas station, which is was most of my food throughout those almost three years. I was there. It was like gas station, fast food, CeCe's Pizza Buffet and Chinese Buffet and occasionally like a good seafood restaurant. Jimmy bought my food. He grabbed his coffee and Red Bull, which I always remember in each hand, coffee and Red Bull when he started the day. We were all hopped up on energy drinks, being sleep deprived. And then we're going down the road. And so there were a few guys in the car with me and Jimmy. And then the others went with Chris and the the girl in the van. I just remember, like, they started saying all of these weird words and terms and whatnot, screaming out peepees, which means like, I want this street. Or I'd write her up if you see somebody who looks like a quote unquote order. Um, or that's an order. So you see a house that looks like the person behind the doors because we got very good at you could almost predict who was going to open the door just by looking at their house or predict if they were going to buy or what they were going to buy. Just like when you do this long enough, you really become like a master manipulator, people reader, bullshitter. Yeah. So what are some of the things that we maybe shouldn't have on the outsides of our house? We don't want people knocking <laughs> on the door. 
Well, for us, if you had anything that was red and yellow, because those were our like mascot colors, you had to write up a, a yellow and red themed of any sort house. Like, honestly, if you looked like you had um, like Southwestern or like Mexican Hispanic decor out, out front, or you had a car in the, the driveway that had the rosary hanging in your car, like you were usually from Mexico or another South American country. I don't like just very eccentric looking like that just look out of place. We didn't really like the cookie cutters, just basic, you know, just if you had anything that we could figure out what you might be into or just that you had like this interesting type of personality, you decorated your lawn and your yard, basically, and your house, Fun funky colored houses, stuff like that. Wow. Really? So just sort of having your personality outside is like mm -hmm. a welcome mat to uh, basically to come on in. What about like signs that said no solicitors? Would you leave those houses alone or would <laughs> you still knock? No, that was like a personal goal of everybody's was to write up the no soliciting house. <laughs> and so most of the time, this is a generalization, but most of the time people who have those signs just don't know how to say no. So they're trying to get people to not knock on the door because they don't know how to say no. A lot of the times it was that or every now and again, like my first instance in um, Pensacola, Florida, having a gun pulled on me, like they were just pissed off because all of these people were knocking doors in that area. Pensacola, Florida, um, if anyone's listening there and you live have lived there for at least a decade or more, like that's just a hot spot because coming from Alabama and going to Florida or you're going out of Florida to Alabama, just depending on which way you rounded the country. And so Pensacola was like right there. Everybody right. went to Pensacola. It was like the first stop between the states. And people were, I hated knocking in Pensacola. And yeah, a guy, it, it's like still shakes me because like having guns pulled on me after this first time, like you become desensitized to a lot of stuff because you kind of have to be. But like knocking that door and then you know, like a few seconds later, I just hear him like cock the gun behind the door. And I'm just like, oh, shit. He opens a door and he doesn't point it at me, but he's just got it right on his side, staring me down. And then he's got his wife in the background. Didn't she see the fucking sign? And I didn't say anything. I just backed up, walked down the sidewalk, found a spot that was like, it was still a neighborhood, but not even secluded, but just like a spot on the curb. And I just started like panic bawling. But How old are you? I was still 18. That was like my first round the country so like we started in texas so it had to have been sometime at the beginning of the year so i was like fresh three months or so on the road but yeah any time after that i'm just like mm, it's a gun I'm like okay how Which many is crazy. times yeah. were guns pulled on you during this time like you were two in or three country? after that and it was what? never like in my face it was usually just like the person was holding it when they opened the door which is still should be kind of scary <laughs> become oh desensitized to all that God, because the only important thing it's not your safety the most important thing on the macro is writing your business or having quota so yeah fuck you and your your person like if you didn't have sales yeah it's, that's really all that mattered it was just how many sales you could write wow so you said your first trip around so how many trips around the country did you end up taking with the mag crew two and a half so it was like the first time around and I tried to leave after the first time around, but got the whole talk of, you know, you left home for a reason. Nobody wants you back there. Like, what are you going to do? Be a dumb, miserable Jones, which Joneses were anybody who was not on the, the mag crew. So 
literally everybody out in the world. It's an us versus them mindset. Like we're better than the Joneses because we're out here making money, traveling the country. We weren't making that much money, by the way. Um, Cash every day, but not a lot. A two and a half. Because like the first time around, I tried to quit. The second time around, I tried to quit, but was the first time in Louisiana, the second time in Florida. So how am I supposed to get home? Um, A lot of the times they would just leave people at the bus station with no ticket, or they might just leave people on the side of the road. Unless you had committed enough time to them, oftentimes they would buy you a ticket back, probably hoping you'd come back. They don't want to leave on bad terms. So yeah, after the second time in Florida, I tried to leave. It was like, I say half because by the time I got back to Council Bluffs, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska area, that's when I finally left because I was there. I was like right there. I didn't have to worry about my way home because it was there. Wow. Yeah. What was the typical trip around? Like what, what major cities did you hit? Big city metros really everywhere, except certain states we'd skip over because of the strictness of the law enforcement and Wisconsin actually has a law like you cannot solicit magazines. Their whole thing, whole story about that, like a magazine crew got in a wreck and a few people died and now there's like a whole law on it. Um, So yeah, major cities didn't hit up Georgia, no Wisconsin, the Dakotas got skipped, Kansas and Oklahoma got skipped. But yeah, I by the time I was done with the road, I think I had gone to like 36 states. And then I had finished up to 48 with another travel job that was also just a shit show. Not quite a cult or labor trafficking, but a shit show. So ah, I've been to 48 states, just not Alaska and Hawaii. Wow. So we went everywhere. Yeah, just about everywhere. Even went to Mexico a few times before it got like way too crazy to be on the border. So I'd been to Mexico um, pretty early when I started. That was another exciting thing. It's like, oh, I get to go to Mexico. But one of the guys ended up getting put in Mexican jail and had to be bailed out for 50 bucks because he brought a knife. And then we we would just go to strip clubs down there and I could legally drink. It was exciting at the time. But yeah, everywhere, wow. Roberta. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so wild to me to think of this like gang of feral children selling magazines across the country and like dipping into Mexico whenever they can to get drunk. Like it's just wild mm-hmm. to even think i mean what is everybody's parents i'm like as a parent i'm like what <laughs> what are the parents like what is going on in the do the parents even know yeah so i think about that because i have a toddler and uh, man if she was 18 or i mean some of the people that were on the crew were 17 i believe one of them was 16 and the, there was one guy who was 17 and we got stopped by the cops a lot he ended up having to go back home but when he turned 18 he came back kind of leads into a lot of the vulnerabilities of people who get trafficked or fall into these culty workplaces is a lot of them don't come from very like good homes. A lot of the people who are labor trafficked on mag crews especially are are homeless or on the verge of being homeless, unemployed. So so my story is unique the way that I was hired. Most people got hired at their door. So if an agent knocked on a door and said, such and such. And the person's like, I don't have a job. I don't have no money. If they were young, you'd you'd break your canvas. So the canvas is what you would fabricate to tell people why they should buy magazines from you. So you're like basically admitting that you just lied to this 18, 19 year old. Like, yeah, I don't actually, I'm not actually winning points for a savings bond. I travel the country and make money. You want to do it too? Most of those offers were like declined. But we, yeah, plenty of people got hired just at their door or they responded to a newspaper ad or an online ad offering $1,000 a week in a rock star job opportunity, which is bullshit. 
Um, so yeah, unemployed, lack of knowledge and experience because most people were hired at 18 or 19. And if they were there at like age 28, like the one guy I mentioned, they've been there for a while. Broken okay. families. Yeah. Wow. So you said like the, the kids that are talking about how they're earning points to get a trip or they're working towards a all of that's a lie. I mean, it kind of felt like it was anyway, but you're telling me all of that is just a made up story to yeah. tug at the heartstrings to get somebody to fall for the scam they're peddling. Right. And I always felt bad for the trip kids because it's like, oh, you want someone to buy a magazine to fund your trip to Europe? <laughs> at least I'm telling people I'm getting a savings bond to start a business or go to college. But I was never going to go to college for, I mean, I had gone to college for two or three months, never my plan to go back. But that was always my canvas was I'm earning these 30,000 points to get $15,000 savings bond. And it's so crazy how much I lied to people. Pretend I lived in the area and was going to go to school like you. I would figure out the university in the area and say, that's where I was going to go. Or tell people that I lived in the town where we were staying in a hotel because I could like picture enough around it that I could make it seem convincing that I was from the area. Because people in the South, especially, do not like to help people that are not local. (laughs) Sometimes I'd even fake a Southern accent. Just literally, I have... Uh, like it's it makes me feel so ashamed how much I lied and how good I was at it because nowadays I can't like I cannot lie I can't lie because I I feel I don't know part of it's the body language crap that I got into like I I just can't I don't want to and I feel like even if I did I would just be so obvious so did you guys have like name tags and badges and all the official stuff to make it look if anybody were to ask hey how do I know you're actually getting a savings bond like what does that look like People listening aren't going to be able to see this. Um, maybe someday on my on my Instagram, I'll put put it up, but blur out like my birthday. And, but like, I'm going to show you. Like, this is that picture that they took of me on the first oh night. I look gosh. so fucking tired. But we had this. Oh. I'm going to read it. It's a certificate of authenticity, and it has an eagle on it in front of some clouds for free speech and press. I don't know what half the shit means bearer has been accepted into nationally certified savings bond award program sponsored by the first amendment what participants can earn up (laughs) i know i never questioned it i just it most people didn't even read it and if they did they were just like nope (laughs) or they were like yeah free speech and press i like yeah most people didn't read it participants can earn up to fifteen thousand dollars by accumulating thirty thousand verified points Winners may enroll in an accredited, I don't even think accredited spelled right, learning school, trade school, university in America, or may option to start a small business. And then at the bottom, it's got Uncle Sam. I want you to support this effort. And (laughs) it's just bogus. And we would, yeah, like we had this little printout thing where he would type in your information and it would just like print out this little, uh, like little sticker. And it's just so like jagged, like uneven. And then my picture's from a freaking Polaroid and it's just, glued on there and then we go to the office place and get it laminated wow (laughs) good times how many people listening right now are just like no i got duped because (laughs) i don't know how many times i've answered the door to like two young kids like yeah like teenagers 18 selling magazines or uh, i'm sure there's even been like chocolate or any kinds of things trying to get these points to get this savings bond, to do this thing, to get this trip, to go to the school. And every mm-hmm. single time I'm like, I know this kind of seems really shady. Yeah. And it usually is. I don't want people out there thinking that every door to door 
business is just bogus because there are people out there that like do legit door-to-door stuff. It probably is a bit culty the way the companies are run, just the few that I know of. Yeah. If someone's selling magazines at your door, don't buy them. Maybe just give them some like fruit snacks and water and, you know, send them on their way. Make sure they're okay. But yeah, like a lot of people have had their doors knocked by salespeople of like roofs or solar or pest control or books. But yeah, um, a lot of the time I I would say just ask a lot of questions if you're interested in the product. If you're not just, yeah, ask them if they need water because that's a big thing. Ask them if they need water. Okay. Um, So what are some questions that we as consumers who are opening the door to a teenager selling one of these services, what is something that we could ask that would maybe give us a a green light that it is a legitimate and not some sort of mag crew uh, like you're I would ask the company. That's the biggest thing is the company. And I would get so pissed. People would ask because we we had receipts and it had the company name on it. So it's not like I could just give out a name. They'd ask. They'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, they're inside and the Internet's like a thing, but it's not as blown up as as it is now. But like you could still Google enough. And that's where the ripoff reports would pop up. It's like Google independent contractor service or flow road agency and find out that. Oh, yeah. Um, So, yeah. Ask the company. And this is if you're even like the slightest bit interested in what they're selling. Like maybe you do need solar panels on your house or a new roof, but company go check it out. Most people, like if they're legit, they can give you a business card and you can have them come back. Cause I had a, I had a, um, an internet sales dude come by like a couple months ago for a a big widely known internet service. So if there are legitimate door-to-door jobs out there, they should have a business card for a legitimate business and be willing to come back. I think that's the biggest thing. Like we couldn't go back to doors because we had no control over where we were knocking. Like we were just put where our car handler put us and And that was that. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's a good point. If, if you can't make an appointment to say, hey, now's not a good time. Could you come back in two weeks? If they're mm-hmm. like, no, I'm only here for the night. That's a red flag. Yeah. People would try to give us money too, which we couldn't accept because they didn't want us to have money. And if you did get a donation, you had to put it towards a magazine to like your fam. So, pe- okay. Trip kids, more often or not, like if people were selling for a trip, people didn't get their magazines. The one good thing about this company was people actually got their magazines. As long as you paid in full and your check went through and it didn't bounce, you got your magazines. Okay, so are you saying (laughs) that some of these sell magazines that never come? Correct. Oh my God. I know for a fact because some of the people that were on the Roadrunner crew went to a crew that an ex, I'm just going to say ex-agent or ex-Roadrunner made and they used their skills selling magazines to sell fake magazines and just pocketed the cash I just learned this was a thing. They like downed checks. I don't quite know how that works, but you could get a check made out to cash. So you could just cash it and you'd quote unquote, get your points faster. (laughs) So you didn't have to wait for them. We had excuses and something for everything an explanation, but yeah, they were just pocketing the cash, renting like cars, like Mercedes Benz and just living, living the high life by scamming people. And there were other crews out there like that too. It's just wild scamps um, roaming the countryside. (laughs) Yeah, no, we were lying to people about the reason, but I'm happy to say most of them got their magazines unless they didn't pay in full or I don't know, something didn't get processed. Some some people had really bad handwriting too, so who knows. So let's get into labor trafficking and what that is and what it looks like. So anybody listening can educate their children to be aware of some of these scams that they may be encountering in the next few years and how to say no to them. 
Yeah, so labor trafficking, a lot of people, most people know of sex trafficking, at least that it's a thing, that it exists, maybe not the the details. But what I'm finding is a lot of people don't quite know the term labor trafficking. I'll say labor trafficking and like my husband's uncle, like, what's that? So labor trafficking just does not have the spotlight that sex trafficking does. And I love that a lot of people are talking about sex trafficking, but labor trafficking is a lot more common. It's going to touch your life in a lot more ways than sex trafficking ever will. And that's not to put anything on the victims of sex trafficking, like, because they are, it's very real for them too. But labor trafficking, it's going to be found in a lot of these a lot of things that you support, like that you put your money towards, like chocolate, coffee, even sometimes the trades that are working on your home, the subcontractors, the nail salons that you go to, not all of them are victims of labor trafficking, but there are plenty of them out there. Um, seafood, I just watched, uh, oh my God, it's called Ghost Fleet, and I found it on Amazon Prime. It might be on other streaming services, but Ghost Fleet, watch that. Like, be prepared to watch it, though, because I cried like five times. It was just heartbreaking. These men are stuck, literally stuck out in the middle of the ocean, being labor trafficked to to catch fish. And like, so a lot of the seafood that you might find in like from comes from Thailand or Indonesia is probably from slave labor. So just, you know, I want people to be mindful of where their money's going. And a lot of the times it's hard to pinpoint where your money's going because there's a lot of levels in some of these companies and suppliers and all that. Like some of the cheap clothing brands like Shein. If you buy from Shein, please stop. Forever 21. They're like just, you can go down a rabbit hole with this stuff. A lot of it's child labor, just slave labor in general especially cheap clothing, but even expensive clothing. Like I listened to a story where this woman was trafficked from Mexico because she had sewing and seamstress capabilities, but these were like $200 dresses, as she said. So you might even be buying expensive clothes that are just coming from slave labor. Summer carnivals are huge. It, it's interesting because my younger brother was in a carnival for a few years. And as I started learning more about labor trafficking, I realized, and it's it's interesting because I used to say, man, like, that sounds a lot like the magazine crew, but worse. Um, but I started digging into carnivals and just from stuff he told me, I'm like, holy shit. Like they're living in trailers with almost pretty much no amenities. There's no AC, no running water. They don't get anything for breaks during the day. They're working out in the hot summer days. The ones who work in the concessions get paid a little bit more than the people who work the games. The people who work the games only get paid based off of you know how many games they sell or people you guess their weight or age or whatever. So I ask people to be very wary of carnivals. There are probably some good companies out there, maybe if it's like a local thing, but maybe even look into who the company is that is putting on this carnival because a lot of that is homeless people and a lot of them have their kids there too, which is very disturbing because I had visited my brother at one. I'm like, man, these people have their kids running around doing this shit. 
but yeah, so they've got kids on like living in this situation as well. But a lot of um, it's like H2A and H2B visas. A lot of immigrants who come up with those are labor trafficked and the visas provided by the, the um, company. And so they have a lot of control over that person because they hold their visa. But a lot of those jobs, the people end up being victims of labor trafficking. And that's where when I say contractors, be mindful, like you might want to pay the bottom dollar for the stone to be the stone veneer on your house or the roof to be done. And this is I can't say this 100 percent, but a lot of the times when you're getting bottom dollar on something, it's at the expense of somebody else. The person from Guatemala or Mexico who's putting the stone veneer on your building, they aren't getting paid shit. And that's why you're not paying shit because of that. And I know this because my husband and I have a, like have a business in the the field of construction. It, it might sound like I'm salty because these people are getting jobs over us, but I'm salty because of like what's behind that. Like, okay, you don't want to pay ten dollars a square foot, and this is just a random number, but you're gonna go pay five dollars a square foot. But those people are just being like mistreated. Yeah. Um, and then the nail salons, yeah, that's like a big one. You've got all these people from Vietnam a lot of the times, and. Uh, I just listened to a podcast and I'll try to explain it. But if you are getting your nails done or your toes or whatever, and this person, and I used to like when they didn't engage with me because I'm like, I don't want to talk. I just want to get my freaking foot rubbed. But now I feel bad because a lot of the times if those women aren't engaging with you and they're just very timid and they don't handle the money or really anything, that's pro that's not a good sign. You go to the salons where they're, and you might be kind of like annoyed because they're talking to each other and you think they're talking shit because you really don't know. I'm glad they're talking to each other and I'm glad they have lunch breaks and I'm glad that they're able to take my money to the register and process it themselves. So these are just things that have like come to my attention that I'm very mindful of now. And that's why I do this because I want more people to open their eyes to the world around them because you probably have come in contact with more victims than you know. Absolutely. It's very interesting. Those red flags of somebody not engaging with you, not being able to hold the money, sort of coming in, doing the job and leaving and not having any interactions at all. That's really interesting. And that it, laughing and talking and interacting are, I mean, obviously good signs, but in terms of labor trafficking are really good signs as well. It's that's yeah. wow. I never even thought about those. Yeah. And it, it really sucks just how prevalent it is. And a lot of restaurants that are mostly run in like cook staff, mostly run by immigrants, be very wary of those as well. A lot of the times it's hard to know. It is very hard to know um, unless you are connected to that person in some way. It's like you, you're not at the nail salon for the whole day. You're there for an hour or two. So you don't know if that lady's gotten a lunch break. You don't know if that lady's transported with all the other ladies to a, another spot because they all live together. Um, same with the restaurant. But like if you if you work at one of these places, like a restaurant, and you notice that one of your coworkers is just never leaving the place, doesn't really get a break, just looks tired all the time, just tired and very skinny. So, and like, again, I don't want to put out generalizations or anything because like you have to put these things in context as well, but just be very mindful of where you're at and the people around you, whether you work there or you're just visiting frequently because it's just kind of hidden in plain sight. It's right in front of you. We weren't trapped in hotel rooms. We were talking to people every day. And the cops too, like I still get so anxious when there's a cop behind me because 
never good a good thing with the cops like I thankfully was never arrested but I'd say like 90% of the crew had been arrested and put in jail at some point and you leave with criminal records you leave with uh, tickets for soliciting without a permit and the manager's supposed to be paying all off all this shit you leave the road with no money and a criminal record like oh thanks guys all those life lessons you know thank you So what are some red flags if somebody might suspect that they're in something like this? What are some things that they should be looking out for? And then what's a good way for them to maybe start breaking free from this? So it's it's hard because a lot of the people who are in this probably aren't listening to the podcast and on social media. <laughs> it's fun, it, not funny, but like interesting because I'll, I would see these um, in our backyard stickers, which I post up now, like, if this person's being trafficked, do they really have a way to call? I guess for the listeners who probably have young people in their lives, there are labor laws and employee rights for a reason. I certainly didn't know what they are and probably couldn't tell you all of them now. As a teenager or a young adult going out into the world, every establishment should have it posted somewhere in that building. So maybe just do a little skim. You should be making at least minimum wage unless you're a contracted worker. If you are a subcontractor or like an independent contractor, the person you're doing work for, there should be some sort of contract between you guys, but you should be able to read it. So if it's in another language, don't sign it. But there should also be an exchange of documents. So for us, like as construction contractors, we are asked for a W-9, which gives them our tax information and we are provided a 1099 at the end of the year. If you do under six, and yeah, it's I'm pretty sure this is federal. If you do under $600 of work for somebody, you don't have to do all that. But if it's $600 or more, you better be getting your forms. So if somebody's hired you as an independent contractor, but they're trying to control your time, there there should be a set amount of money that you're getting paid as a as independent contractor. There's an agreement. But if they're dictating your pay and your schedule, like they can't do that. And then not giving you any forms or anything of that of that sort, that's sketchy. But as an employee who's supposed to be hired as a W-2 employee hourly, you should be filling out the paperwork, the I-9 and the the W-4, be getting a W-2 at the end of the year, a paycheck, uh, at least minimum wage per hour. And I know there's restaurant workers, waiters and waitresses, that's different, which that's a whole nother thing, (laughs) at least minimum wage. And then, yeah, getting your tax documents. There's a difference between labor exploitation and labor trafficking, and I'm, I'm going to be doing a post on it for the I Got Out Focus. But the biggest difference is with labor trafficking, you are forced or coerced into working long hours for little to no pay with no breaks. At labor exploitation, you, and it sounds funny, but like you voluntarily do that. You're expected to do that. But there is no threat, really, other than you might lose your job. If you're labor trafficked, a lot of the times you are at a threat of you know, being abandoned, like on the magazine crew. Or if you're working in one of these food processing plants, a lot of these people come up from Guatemala or Mexico or other countries and their families are threatened like with murder and they're threatened with murder or they might escape and then they're beaten to a pulp or to death. So if you're being exploited, there's not as much of a threat. It feels awful. Get yourself out of that job. Quit as soon as you can. If you are making money, like it is always good to have like a segue, a plan. But if it's so like detrimental to your well-being, just get out. Like 
you're just going to hurt yourself more by sticking around. But for labor trafficking, it's so much harder to get out of because a lot of the times, like with cults, you are in a way indoctrinated. And there's like a lot of Stockholm syndrome with it because your trafficker starts out so nice. Like I remember my first few weeks on the road and months on the road, like they were so lenient with me. They were patient. And then things started flipping and then it'd go back flipping. Like, so there, there is a lot of that, um, like a cycle of abuse within that and attachment to the trafficker as crazy as that sounds. So it's harder to leave. It's, it's, you cannot get anybody to leave. You cannot save anybody from trafficking. You can only ask questions, give them information. And when they're ready, you can help them, you know, find a way out, give them the, the national hotline, but you cannot save anybody. If you try taking somebody from that situation, they're not going to have any life skills or know what to do. They're probably going to go back. And we had a lot of repeat agents, people that left and came back. They had nothing. They had nothing to go back to. It's really, it's so heartbreaking. I mean, even you just telling me that story and your experience, like you hit on so many of really just some of the most basic culty things like the us versus them, the language, the changing of the words, right? That Orwellian doublespeak where you're changing the words mm -hmm. to mean different things and uh, just, it just yeah. seems so cold to you, so much control, the sleep deprivation, the moving you around. Uh, you mentioned no radios in the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I wanted to bring back to that <clears throat> because that seems like it's probably a culty reason too. Yeah. So most of the cars that Chris got from the vehicle auctions didn't have a radio or a CD player. And even if it did, the expectation was you don't use it because another culty thing and this was one of my first like what the fuck moments riding in that car the first day. All of a sudden, these dudes just started yelling, chanting, like call and response, and then going into crew songs. What the heck? Like they're all so excited. And I don't know the words. And they just said they told me to say watermelon, watermelon over and over. So it looked like I was singing until I like could remember the words. So yeah, if if we were in crew car, you weren't supposed to be listening to the radio or music. You could either chat which you don't have a lot of chat about because you all live together. You could only talk about the people that you wrote up You could or like sold magazines to. You couldn't talk about the people who, quote unquote, weren't that cool because they didn't help you win your contest. So if you didn't write someone up, they were just like out of sight, out of mind, as we used to say. But yeah, you were expected to chant and sing and be excited. But I like I broke the rules a little bit here and there. I had like a Crown Vic for a little bit that had a working um, one of those cassette things that you could plug in to like a device and a CD player. So we'd listen to System of a Down every now and again and just like, wow, like <laughs> I went out to the small towns a lot. I started dri driving cars and like moved up the, the totem pole quite a bit. Most of the time you're either chatting about very small amount of topics or singing like crazy people. Which is funny because the other person that you had on the show, Anse, who did Door to Door, she talked about how at Southwestern Advantage, they sing too. And now I'm like, oh, what were their songs? <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the songs that we sang, which is surprising because we sang them a lot. And a lot of them were about quota, quota. Like, okay, so this one I kind of remember. It was like, quota, 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 every day I'm selling. And, and then I don't remember the rest. <laughs> but it was about quota, wow. making money. And then it was about the head honchos who led the the entire company. So there was like our crew, Roadrunner 18, and then the Roadrunner 15 crew. But Lonnie and Yvonne Devine, which yes, their last name is Devine. Um, a lot of the songs had Lonnie and Yvonne in them. And so like we respected, worshipped these fuckers. And they're just sitting in their fancy ass gated home community in Boca Raton, Florida, where we're all fucking knocking doors in the rain with trash bags over us because we don't have umbrellas or freaking toes freezing off because we, you know, we're in Texas thinking it's going to be warm, but it's, it gets cold down there. 
it's just crazy. Like the, the songs and the rules and everything about that experience and the saddest thing. And I hope that the most, like I reach the people who used to do this. And this is like this crew went from, I think like the sixties or seventies when Lonnie started it to about 2014, 2015. I've been trying to reach them and I've learned, obviously I can't tell them they were in a cult or labor traffic. I can only put the information out there with examples but I hope the most because a lot of these people, they're either successful but miserable or they're just kind of like a lot of them are in prison. I have found out through Google stalking them. But I want this information to reach them because I've had to do a lot of healing myself. It took me almost a decade to realize that I was in a, a commercial cult and labor trafficked. And there's people who I talked to a lady who was there 20 years before me. And she had always suspected it in the comments on the Facebook group. We have two Facebook groups for the Roadrunners. You can't talk bad about the business, by the way. You'll get called a lowball or a, a WAB, which is weak-ass bitch. It was a term on the Trip Kid cruise. Yeah, so this is still a thing. What? People still have this mindset. Like, if you talk bad about the business, fuck you. You must not have written any business. You're just a weak-ass bitch. Oh, That's my God. so mlm -y. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, want this to reach them because there are so many people that there, – there are so little, but also so many people that did it that are just – suffering in ways they have no idea because this impacts how you show up in life and how you show up at work. And we in America, you know, work is everything. You don't ask people what they do for fun. You ask them what they do for work. We got to get away from doing that for one, but like your work is your identity and, and just so many toxic things in that magazine crew that have stuck with these people with me, like I'm still working on it. Yeah. I want this to reach them too, so that they can start dissecting the experience because it, might have been fun. We might have gotten limos every now and again and stayed on the beach occasionally. But how many of those days compared to, you know, toiling through nasty weather and just slam doors and getting paid shit? I just I want it to reach them and help them in ways, too, as well as people just knowing about labor trafficking and culty workplaces as well. A lot of this is for the I'm going to say ex-agents, but the people who sold magazines because it's, I don't know, there's just a lot, a lot that went into it, especially if you were there a decade or more, like some people. I hope that there is someone listening who was either part of one or friends with someone that was a part of one, or, you know, it connects somehow and gets this episode to that person so that they can listen to this. And and maybe it does, maybe it, it it's a break some glass and they go, oh, uh oh, mm -hmm. maybe I yeah. was part of this labor trafficking cult thing. Um, because you're right, it does show up. It shows up in every part of your life. It's going to continue to show up and hurt people, yeah. hurt people. And I mean, you True. could probably imagine that you're, you know, not unpacking something like this shows up in your relationships and in your workplaces. And you're wondering, why am I like this? Or why do I feel this way? Or why does this sort of thing trigger me? And yeah. Unpack something from 20 years ago and you're like, oh, there it right. is. It's right here. Yeah. This is what it is. Like that one woman that I mentioned who was on the crew before, like 20 years before me, the only reason we connected is because somewhere in the comments, we had said, yeah, I still have nightmares about being on the road. And I still do. Like when I had first had my daughter, it was very early in postpartum. I had a dream that I got sucked back into the mag crew and Jimmy and Chris took her and I was breastfeeding and like freaking the fuck out that they had taken my baby and she needed to eat and like just scrambling to try to find them, get a hold of them. But most of my dreams aren't that like anxiety inducing, but I still like at least once a month have a dream where I am stuck back on the road and like, how did I get here? Why did I do this to myself? How am I going to get out? 
I came back and I can't leave like right away. Like they're just, and she has the same thing. She has these nightmares and it's a big thing with um, people who've gone through trauma, whether it's a big T trauma or little T series of traumas, it just creeps up everywhere in your sleep when you're awake at work, in your friendships and everywhere. Like I've got this whole list of things that I keep adding to of ways that it affected me. And I've been able to share it with a few other agents. I hate that I'm calling them that. A few other people who sold magazines, most of them don't want to talk to me about it. And I get that. It takes time. But like a lot of them are very similar. Acting like an extrovert when that's just not me. The way of transactional relationships like with MLMs too is like, I'm only talking to you because I see some benefit or just a very fake interaction just because I didn't know who I was. I became who the mag crew needed me to be, and then it stuck with me for almost a decade. So it's been, for the last like four to five years, me figuring out who am I really and trying to get rid of those traits that the mag crew instilled in me. I, like I had no empathy for people because when you hear so many excuses to why people can't buy magazines, which I feel terrible, like these people would have legit sob stories, and I'm sitting here just like, well, you're not going to help me. Bye. You're knocking doors at very late hours in very sketchy neighborhoods in Chicago. Very dangerous. Other, you know, you don't know who's behind the door in general. It's just a dangerous job, but you're just desensitized to that. We couldn't be negative and your friends are going through some shit and you're just like, eh, quit crying about it. Just be positive. Like, I still get those little things in my head when people come to me and I'm like, no, like this is this is a person having emotions. That's what's supposed to happen. You don't just wow. be happy or angry all the time. Because, you know, we had to be angry to get people to comply, but we had to be happy otherwise. It's just, it's incredible. It just, it makes me feel so bad for those kids that I see selling things door to door. I, I just, I feel horrible and I don't know how to fix it other than to spread <clears throat> awareness and to educate and to make episodes like this and to have people that have maybe been in similar situations reach out and say, I want to tell my story too. Yes. And make, you know, labor trafficking, labor trafficking should be a focus. So if you were in something that, you know, even if it was the MLM or if it wasn't, and you want to tell your story, like, please, because that's the way that we make change is we create the awareness, we create the education and people connect with those stories and start their healing as well, because it, it's PTSD. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. there. You're having nightmares about your child being taken by your former cult leader. I mean, what? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's still there. You know, you're still unpacking it and you're still figuring it out and you're healing. And it's just, yes. it's, it's PTSD. I found a group on Facebook like a year ago. It's Mad Crew Support Group. And it hasn't been active for uh, since like 2014 or 15. There was a lot of people on there talking about their experience. And I love to see that. I'm kind of lucky because the admin resigned and I went, I just checked it a few months ago and it's, there's no admin and I had the ability to click, I'll be admin. So now I'm admin of the Mag Crew support group on Facebook. So if anybody out there listening has been on a Mag Crew or knows somebody, there are a few questions you have to answer just to like, you know, you can't be calling anybody a weak ass bitch or a lowball for sharing their very real experience. But join that and <laughs> please do share your story because everybody out there is still just convinced it was the greatest time ever. And I can't say if it was or wasn't. We all experienced it differently. But I know what I saw and I know what I've heard from a lot of other people. It was not that great. So, yes, share your story yeah. because that's the best way that we can all like come together and heal from this is by sharing stories and feeling like we're not alone. Because that's the biggest thing that's been for me. I still feel like I'm the crazy one. 
But I have a few people who feel the exact same way that I do about Mad Crew that I've found like very randomly. We just kind of need to come together. We were a quote unquote family then, but let's actually be like more of a family now and support each other because you might have been on a crew 20 years ago, but it's probably still very real in, in your bones, like in your deep in your body, you probably still feel it. Absolutely. So where can everybody find you on social media so they can follow along? Yeah. So I just started my Facebook page. It's at the cult business. Instagram's the same. So at the cult business and then um, amandafangman.com. But I don't really do a lot with that. But I also want to leave people with some action steps because I can talk all day about why this stuff is messed up. But, you know, if if nobody's taking action, it's just going to keep being a thing and it's going to take a long time for things to change. But again, going back to how is your money being spent? If you just start with one thing that you buy frequently, whether that's coffee or you really like chocolate or the clothes that you frequently buy from Shein or whatever, do a little digging on that that company. Like Nestle is a huge, huge one. And they keep saying that they're going to do something about the child labor that happens on these cocoa farms and it's all lip service. They don't do shit. So I don't buy Nestle products anymore. And it's not just chocolate. Like they've got a long list that you can find. I think it's Wikipedia I don't buy DiGiorno pizza. Most of the stuff that they make, I don't buy anyway, but just stop buying it. It's hard to, especially, and I understand people kind of like me might be in a rural area where you don't have a lot of, I'm lucky to be kind of pinned between two cities, but you might not have as many options with stores and whatnot. But good thing is a lot of stuff can be bought online. Sam's Club actually does have fair trade coffee, but that's where I'm going. It's like fairtradecertified.org. Go there. And if you do buy coffee a lot or other sorts of goods, they have a whole list of fair trade certified businesses. And it takes a lot to be fair trade certified. You can also go to laborrights.org. It used to be sweatfree.org, but they have a ton of resources on how to not support sweatshops, places that are happy with child labor and slave labor. I just started doing this, but you can go to inourbackyard.org and you do give like a small donation to get these stickers, but they're called freedom stickers. And you've probably seen them in bathrooms on the stall or the mirror. Just keep them in your pocket or your car or your purse. And if I go to a place that doesn't have one, I just stick it there. And that gives victims of trafficking a hotline to call if they're in trouble. And I also have the National Human Trafficking Hotline number saved to my phone. I haven't had to use it yet, but it's there if I need it. I have it memorized by this time, but it's 888-3737-888. And you can make a report if something seems suspicious. If you are somehow listening to this and feel like you are in danger being labor trafficked or sex trafficked, call that hotline. I've heard that it's hit or miss on how helpful they are, but at least you've taken a step and they might be able to connect you with if it's somebody locally that can help you. But yeah, those are the biggest things is just see where your money's going. Educate yourself. There aren't that many podcasts and documentaries out there, unfortunately, but there are some, which I'll be posting up this month for I Got Out's focus on high control workplaces. Just educate yourself on what it looks like where you can commonly find it and stop supporting it. Because if nobody's putting their money towards this stuff, these companies are either going to have to change or they're going to fizzle out. And again, it's going to take a while, but if we can all just take these little steps together, it's going to make a bigger impact in the end. I appreciate all of those resources so much. I will pop all of them into the show notes. So if anybody wants to check them out, send donations or grab some stickers, they can do that pretty easily. 
Thank you so much, Amanda. (laughs) You are incredible. Everybody, please go check out all of the amazing content this month. And then we'll also be evergreen if you're listening to this past April of all the amazing uh, content about labor trafficking and culty toxic workplaces to make sure that you're not falling trap into those. Or if you know somebody, you have the information to help them. Um, Thank Mm -hmm. you again. You are so lovely. Thank you, Roberta. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.